0: you to know it's over well bye i hope y'all didn't think egat was going anywhere because egat is staying right here and um i got to give paul a lot of love uh this was a tough decision for me but it really wasn't because i love arn i'll still be a part of it and um i got a great opportunity but Paul, uh, we're going to continue, buddy.
1: Absolutely. And, and for those of you who don't know what Kevin is talking about, who aren't privy to Austin Radio, Kevin Dunn is leaving a how-many-year career?
0: I started 1994 when I was 15 as an intern. And wow. then really started doing a show from 21, 22. I mean, Major, Chad, BJ, the afternoon show. Major and I did a show at noon starting at 22, and then did that till 28, 29, went to New York, came back, did TV, then have come back, and it's been like seven years here at ARN, and they've just been phenomenal. I mean, I'm doing this from ARN a day after I just did my last show, and they could not have been any cooler uh, about any of this. Paul, in this industry, radio or TV, if the accounting person – says they're leaving they're usually escorted out of the building asap
1: yeah they a little cardboard box you get to put your family's pictures in it and your favorite (laughs) uh bobblehead and they walk your ass out security puts you in your car in the parking lot
0: yeah that's what happens but this whole week so i announced it on monday paul's known about this for a little while paul's one of my best friends so people really tight with me i was Talking, to this, uh, talking about this opportunity with them. I am going to Morgan Stanley. I'm joining a team, which is phenomenal. And I've already been doing it for a little while. So I've got a pretty good feel about how I'm going to fit in. But I, I ran it by a lot of my really, really close people. And um, Paul and everyone else, Trey, just said, you have to do this, man. This is life-changing. And it's also something you're going to be good at and something you're going to like but there's not many times in life when you leave something and you don't want to leave it. I love ARN, and I love doing the show with Rod. I had a ball. I mean, we, it was a good show. It's going to be a good show after this, And but I've got an opportunity. So it's really the first time in my life where I'm leaving something I don't want to leave, but I have to leave.
1: Yeah, well, Kevin, I wish you nothing but Godspeed. I know you're going to kill it. Uh, I know we can't get into all the particulars of what you're going to be doing for Morgan Stanley, but we'll let you talk about that to the degree to which you're comfortable. This was your last show in Austin, Texas on Friday. I know you had an outpouring of listeners calling in, uh, a lot of people upset that you're moving on. And, you know, maybe this is, look, this is my opinion. You don't, you can, you know, affirm or deny uh, or just take it in or whatever, but you were no longer challenged by radio, man. You weren't, yeah. and you're really, really good at it. You're really good at sports and radio. You know, they're they're two different skills. There's a lot of people who are very good at radio who aren't necessarily knowledgeable about sports, and there's a lot of people very knowledgeable about sports who aren't great at media, TV, radio. You know, there's a lot of former athletes who prove that every weekend, (laughs) right? Right. And you are great at both. I mean, great at both, and so good, and so you made it so easy. And I know you, you took pride in your job. You took it very seriously, but as a guy on the outside looking in, you weren't challenged by it. I think you had mastered that skill. And I think you were at a point in your life where you wanted to set a goal that maybe scared you a little bit, that made you maybe feel a little insecure. Like, Hey, am I going to pass this you know, series seven test? Am I going to, yeah, I haven't opened in, in 20 years. And you know, you're starting a new chapter, but I think it's one that's going to be, I think it's been a very good book so far, but I think it's going to be a new book that's going to be even more exciting and fulfilling for you. That's well said, man. That's why you're
0: so good at this. Um, and you know me so well. Yeah. There's a lot of truth to that and not being challenged is not, uh, it's not a shot at certainly not Austin radio network or the show I did. I loved it, but Yeah, I mean, I've always been that guy. I mean, at 15, I mean, I've always wanted to do that, challenge myself. The reality is, if you look at my career and what I've done, I've always thrown myself into the deep end of the pool and said, all right, man, and I'm good in those situations where I've got to sink or swim. And funny enough, with this one, this is probably, it's not the least of it because there are going to be challenges and there's going to be obstacles that I have to overcome but I, I've done this, I've been doing this other thing enough to where I've got a pretty good idea and a pretty good feel for how it's going to work out. Certainly a lot more than I did when I was 15 getting into radio or when I said, you know what, this uh, reality show keeps on calling me, why not? F it, let's do it. And um, and kind of put myself in certain situations where, where I, I have to, I really have to survive. I'm one of those survival people where... And it probably started with cancer, but even before then, because at 15, as I mentioned, doing radio, I was a sophomore at Westlake. And that's just kind of who I am. It's how I function. It it is my oxygen. And when all this stuff came together, the confluence of of events and the changing landscape and everything else, it it was a pretty easy call for me. Not easy to leave ARN, but easy to say, no, this is going to work, and this is also how you function.
1: Yeah. You know, interestingly, I think, you know, the, the, by the way, if
0: that didn't make any sense, I'm emotionally exhausted right now. So we're going to get to that in a second. Okay. Uh,
1: You're, you're turning a new page, but I tell you, of course, Kevin's time, he referenced in New York and TV was the real world, which way back then. The real world was still cool. I think you might have been the last cast that people didn't actively begin to hate. And if you saw real world people out like at a bar, you wouldn't throw a beer at them or try to pick a fight, right? Right. Yeah, no, it, it
0: was a big deal. There there were essentially two reality shows at that point. Real world had been around for 10 years and it was the first one. It was that and Survivor.
1: I, do you wish you'd been on Survivor?
0: Um, for Elizabeth Hasselbeck, yes, but outside of that, no. (laughs) But I I remember being on the show and Malik and I got one of those, you know, BS magazines and we were doing the show at that point. We're in New York and I'm looking at Hasselbeck and I was like, oh my God. And I just thought, wow, this is weird. There's like two reality shows and I'm on one of them.
1: Were you ever on Tiger Beat Magazine?
0: (sighs) Honestly, I probably was. (laughs) <laughs> like there, there were a couple of pop stars who I was hanging around with and they were much bigger than I was uh, clearly. And, but my name was in a lot of those like us weekly. I remember my sister being like, there's a blurb about you and yada, yada, yada in, in us magazine. What's going on.
1: Isn't that hilarious? Well, the funny thing is real the, the reality shows really were new and novel at that time. And we hadn't completely burnt out on them as a society and, you know, scripted reality, but uh, more reality ish probably back then than now, right? Yeah. And much so. Uh, the people that you were hanging out with that were famous were watching you. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I mean, they're no. intaking media, they're watching shows, they've got their favorite, and they're. You know, so to them, you're someone they're following. So it's perfectly natural that to them that you, they'd approach you and reach out to you or want to hang out with you. And it's, it's really funny. And, and to your credit, uh, talking about t- you know, turning chapters and moving on, you're not ever a guy who's gone back. You and I have talked about this. We're, we were not the guys when we graduated high school that we went back to a high school party. Even when we were a freshman in college.
0: I didn't go to to my 20-year reunion. And not because I have any ill will towards those people, but I had stuff to do that day. Like, real time. You know what?
1: I I didn't go to mine. And I actually regret not going because there's a bunch of people I I wanted to catch up with. Yeah. But I had a choice between that and going backpacking in Turkey for three weeks. Oh, you take the backpacking in Turkey. And I went backpacking in Turkey and had a freaking blast. It was amazing. Uh, So, Yeah. I'm I'm just like you. I don't look back. I'm not like always trying to relive the glory days. Um, I think it's fun to revisit places and nostalgia. I mean, I went back to my old uh, elementary school probably about 10 years ago and just popped my head in there. And uh, it was Doss Elementary, right? <laughs> the pride of Northwest Hills. <laughs> and Doss, there was a, I remember distinctly, there was a set of stairs that led down towards the gym. And I remember as a kid, our big thing, particularly the boys, was to get a running start and jump off the top of the stairs and try to make it all the way down to the bottom. Of and, course. of course, you would wipe out. I mean, I remember uh, I, I split my lip uh, and, like, uh, knocked one of my teeth sort of askew. It didn't knock it all the way out, but it kind of put it sideways. Uh, like, kids were getting messed up all the time doing it. But it was our game. And I remember going, like, oh, I want to see those stairs. Kevin, I went back. It was a set of like five, six stairs. (laughs) 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 But as a second grader, holy shit, this was Bob Beeman in Mexico City going 29 feet. And so, you know, it's hilarious. You go back and you see the little desks and you're like, how the hell did, you know, a human being fit in that desk? But, you know, there's a little healthy nostalgia, but you got to turn the chapter and move on. And to your credit, you never went back and did the little nostalgia shows or the easy paydays or road rules versus real world and i know your phone rang and i know that would have been easy paychecks but you never did it i
0: didn't they stopped calling probably after five or six years they called a couple years ago they had some show and they said hey i know you haven't done any any of this but is there any way and I, i tried to be polite about it i just said hey man i i'm moving on but uh but it's This week has been, uh, it's been telling. It also tells me how much people love this podcast because I got a lot of, I'm sorry, you're going to be leaving. I'm going to miss you on the horn. Can I still hear you? And can I still hear you and Paul? And that's going to continue. So, and in fact, to be honest, I'll probably have, I'll probably be a lot more refreshed doing this because I won't have 20 hours a week that I, I'm i already spent kind of giving my take. And I don't like to give fake takes, so I don't come on and give you a bunch of bullshit that I'm so fired up about this if I'm not. You can kind of hear where I'm at and, and what my true feelings are on things. And you know that because you're one of my best friends, but I think the listeners know that too. And the connection I've had with the listeners has been, I mean, it's been truly unique. People say that a lot. This is so unique. No, there's nothing like it. I mean, even stand-up comedy is different because they are living their life, the everyday life, and listening to us, whether that's eating dinner, doing dishes, just driving, whatever it is. And I realized that this week. Now it's on Monday, and then yesterday, Friday, was my last day. And the outreach and the... Uh, Just the love was—it was overwhelming. I mean, I'm still blown away right now. I woke up this morning, and I mean, it felt like some of the days of my life where I've done some pretty special things. And the next day, and it just—you just go, did that really happen?
1: Well, selfishly, a Kevin Dunn who's not having to do 20 hours of sports radio, popping on a podcast once, maybe twice a week, and chatting for an hour, it's going to, it's actually going to feel like a fun release for you rather than an obligation hanging over your head.
0: And, And look, I mean, I love you and I love this. I would not have continued to do this with the other stuff I was doing. And I was dabbling in other stuff, including what I'm doing right now. So my hours were getting really long. And by the way, if I could do, if I could do both these things, I really would. And I even thought about that, but it's just not it's just not in the cards and and I gotta make sure I focus on this, and this is my primary focus, but it'll be so nice having this hour or two hours we're probably gonna throw out more pods, the Austin woods and the Randy Boons. Don't worry, we're still gonna be here, but yeah i mean i I do think it was never an obligation, but obligations and real life are can be separate things, so I love doing this, but I also, I know there were some times when I came on and, and I just, I was wiped.
1: Yeah. Well, it's one of those things where sometimes you drive, I drive, right? Right. And that's just the reality of it. Sometimes it's like, dude, I haven't paid attention all week. I've been working. So Kevin, you're running the show this week. And then you talk about baseball. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> we're talking UT baseball, Kevin. It's October. Uh, we probably we At probably time, should get into OU. That-
1: Anytime Kevin senses I'm weak, he knows that's his opportunity to talk baseball.
0: That's exactly it. This has been a good reminder, though, and I, I we try and do this on this podcast. Paul and I are truly independents. I mean, maybe a liberta- old school libertarian base to both of us, but we are. We try and look at things through a clear lens and a fair lens. More importantly, and I don't, I, I don't like to look through anything through. Racial lens or sexual lens, but I will give a sexual lens here. Women are so much better at dealing with with emotions, and what I've realized this week, I've cried more this week than I have in probably four or five years. I will try and get myself to cry, and I can't, and it's funny because you realize there's all probably all these different things that have been pent up, and then- They release in a big life moment like this. It's a good reminder that for especially all of us guys, once again, I don't like to split it like that. You got 8 billion people on earth. I don't like to go, well, 4 billion do this and 4 billion do that. And if you have this genitalia, you do this. But some things you just can't deny. And the women in my life have been so good saying, hey, soak this up. If you got to cry, you got to cry. Just enjoy it and make sure that you you don't have any regrets three years down the line saying, hey, I just had my blinders on and I was flying through it.
1: Well, that's that's very wise. And also, uh, I didn't realize you were going to talk about crying.
0: Jeez. Man, I, I didn't think I would. And when I announced it on Monday, I had a couple of tears. And then yesterday doing the show with Rod, I definitely did. And and really what, what that was about was I love Rod to death. And the show, that show is going to be great. I've been part of the planning of of how this thing's going to continue and it's going to be really good I'm, I'm excited about it
1: but did rod did rod try to intercept any of your tears and miss
0: yeah he dropped all of them <laughs> he dropped all of them and one of them was right in his hands man
1: he could have picked six your tear all the way he, he 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 could have he could have but really, what well, you know, the, none of those tears hit the ground, Kevin. That's the key. <laughs> he still interfered. He still he still made sure that there was not a completion.
0: Rod had one of the best lines when he was a player. He said, "No one catches the ball on my side. Not even me."
1: That's the best. I love that. Rod's Rod's like one of the great dudes, man. He great really is, man. Obviously, a very good college player. Uh, despite our joking, he was an All American. Uh, I mean, yes. I mean. Very, very good college player, and he has a great sense of humor about his skills and capabilities. And uh, tell you what, I know a guy who's got some high-level skills and capabilities, and talk about turning a chapter and your obligations, you might have a mortgage obligation out there or you're about to. And I want to introduce something, and we talked about it a little bit on the last pod, but if you want to give Gabe Winslow a call at 832-557-1095, he can talk to you about something that Whoa, if you're financially educated, they say you're not supposed to do these. But right now, with interest rates headed up, there's a great opportunity to use a financial instrument called the adjustable rate mortgage, the arm, the dreaded arm, mm-hmm. Kevin. Uh, these are the things that, of course, got everyone in trouble back in 2008 in the financial crisis. Yeah, I was crisis, just when about they were doing, to say that. <laughs> when they were doing three-year arms, right, Yeah, and uh, leveraging themselves to the hilt and thinking that their condo in Modesto, California, was going to be worth $6 million in, in 2020. And
0: those, those arms actually created some pretty good movies. <laughs>
1: well, I'll tell you what. The 7- and 10-year arms are a different product. And if you're interested in getting either a refi at the jumbo level or doing, a obviously, a purchase, this is the only instrument currently available where you can get a, a rate around 2.8, 2.75, certainly under 3. I'm not quoting you a rate. I'm just saying what I've seen thrown around. And the beauty of a seven or 10 year arm, Kevin, is that it's seven or 10 years. You can get out, you can refi. There's no sort of penalty for for a refi two years into it. And what you save by getting that low rate and getting that breathing room, particularly on a jumbo loan, is gonna be a significant amount of money. And so if you're a financially smart and responsible person and you're not in credit card debt, or you're not using this to stretch to buy something you can't afford, A long-term arm is actually a tremendous financial instrument. So talk to Gabe Winslow, see your own suitability for this and see if you can really middle this market and still make it work for you in a time of rising interest rates. Give him a call 832-557-1095. Think of all the thousands of dollars of money you're going to save that you could turn over to our friend, David McClellan and let him put it to work for you and, uh, Kevin's going to talk to you about Mr. McClellan and what he can do for you a little bit later.
0: Yeah, yeah, I will. And actually, you know what? I'll do it right now because David is such. Let's a, do it. Let's do it. David is such a bright guy. He's a fiduciary financial advisor. He's from Form Financial. He's seen every part of the industry, which is so important. But he's been at Form uh, for a while now and doing a hell of a job. He's really bright. Like I said, he's a hard worker. He's a, won a couple national championships as a swimmer here. And he's part of our family. So if you're part of our family, and if you're listening, that means you are, go ahead and reach out to him, and, and he's going to give you a free consultation. It's free. There's no strings. All You're really going to get a, someone who's really good at what they do to look at where you're at and maybe see where you could go. And really, that's the financial freedom number. One of the reasons I'm making this move is, is that that is everything in life. He's going to probably look at some things that you probably could be doing to build your wealth and also achieve financial freedom faster. He's been fantastic, as has Gabe. Just give him a call, 312-933-8823. It's 312. Yes, that is Chicago. He'll work with anyone, though, anywhere. 312-933-8823 or dmcclellan at forumfin.com.
1: You know, doctors, if you have any friends that are doctors, and I know you do, and I certainly did. I used to have a former life when I was in biotech, and – when you befriend doctors, one of the things they dread in social situations is people finding out that they're a doctor. Yes, and then asking them a bunch of medical questions. And you know, of course, the doctor wants to say, "Hey, if you want, you know, I'm off the clock, but if you want, like, come into my office, so we could talk about this." Well, what David and Gabe are offering is high level professional skill for free. You can be at the proverbial cocktail party, show them what's up with you, your ailments or your successes financially, and basically say, what do you think? And they're going to say, hey, here's my take. Here's what you could do. Here's what I could, you know, here's what may work for you. And if you don't want to work with them or you don't think that there's a fit or they don't think there's a fit, and by the way, they'll tell you, uh, move on. If you do think there's a fit or if you just wanted a rubber stamp on your current strategies this is a great opportunity. It's not really any stress. It's not any pressure. These guys aren't gonna sell your email address to a Nigerian scammer. (laughs) So you guys use the tools that are available to you, get your new year in shape, use these sponsors for a reason. There's a reason we get dozens of emails about these guys raving about them. So, all right, we've hit our sponsors hard. We've serviced them. We've talked about your transition and we're gonna be talking probably a little bit about that more in the future. But I do wanna talk about a transition, a couple of transitions. One of them is the Tennessee Volunteers are coming to play the Texas Longhorns, part of the SEC Big 12 Basketball Challenge. And of course, the head coach of the Tennessee Volunteers is a guy you and I both like, Rick Barnes. Uh, I didn't get to know him. You got to know him pretty damn well. And you guys built quite a bit of uh, professional respect for each other in your time working together. Rick Barnes is one of my favorite coaches that ever coached at UT. Uh, Yes, it was time for him to go. Yes, he's also the greatest coach in UT basketball history. Yep. Both of those things can be true.
0: Yep. And they are true. And and Rick was fantastic with me. When I was doing the early on the radio show, way back in the day, and Rick was, you know, three or four years in. He wanted to build hype at the Irwin Center. And he he asked to meet with me. And so I go into his office. It's like, you know, Kevin, we gotta find a way and you're an Austin guy and you're you're a longhorn. We gotta find a way to actually Really get this place going, you know? And we just, from that point on, really hit it off uh, when Rick was, he knew he was gone. It was probably a week or two before he left, and he's in, at, at LHN in the makeup room, and I'm about to do a sit-down with him. And it's just the makeup artist, uh, Veronica, shout out to her, love her, and Rick and I. And Rick is getting his makeup done, and he looks at me, and he just says, Kevin, what do you really want to do in life? And we, you know, I I knew that was his way of saying, "Hey, I'm not going to see you anymore, but I love you." And and we we actually had a really really good heart to heart. Rick Barnes was awesome. I mean, at the end of the day, with my radio career, the person I was closest with of a coach was was Augie. I mean, Augie ended up becoming one of my best friends. But Rick was a good friend, and Rick was Rick. Rick's a legit human being, and it would talk about. Some of the struggles in his life and how he overcame that, and so I've got nothing but love, man. I mean, I always want to see Texas win, but I, I really hope he gets the deserved love, and I think he will tonight. That that uh, that someone like him in his career is is uh, is deserved and, and and really owed, and so I, I love Rick Barnes. Here's a good Rick Barnes story. So Ogden told me this, and I was buddies with Ogden. Uh, in college, and they were going to Tucson to take on Arizona, and Arizona was loaded. I don't know. I mean, it would have been post-Michael Dickerson and those guys. I don't know if it was Jason Gardner. I'm not sure who it was, but they were a much better team, and it was his first or second year at Texas, Rick. And so they were a huge underdog, and the McHale Center was bumping. It was packed and loud, and they're coming out of the tunnel. Before they go out, Rick turns around to the team and says, all right, boys, let's go pick a fight. And that was what his mentality was, man. There was something, I know you, especially as as you know all the sports, but as a football guy and as a physical guy like you are, there was something about his teams that you could respect, man. They would show up, and they were not going to get punked
1: no they were they were not going to get punked that's for sure they had a blue collar mentality and you know he really cultivated that early in his career at Clemson that's yeah. that's how he that's how he got on the radar which was taking this pure you, you people say Texas is a football school holy shit Clemson South Carolina has no basketball tradition or or real natural fan base and they're in the ACC right yeah I mean, this is the 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 least attractive basketball job in the ACC and Rick took that job and made Clemson a problem in the SEC. I mean, in the ACC for every year he was there, and was very famous for his his dust ups with with Dean Smith and Coach K, and because the whole attitude was, we're not going to bow down to you. And he ended up with some really scrappy Clemson teams that would really give the, those other teams fits. They'd beat them. They'd upset them. They'd beat them up. And, uh, you know, really, that's where he built that image and was able to transport that to Texas. And then, you know, as as he evolved, I think he was also able to marry that with some real talent and uh, probably not surprising that his best teams were the best combination of sort of talent and that blue collar grit mentality with a guy who was a strong on-court personality, you know, a T.J. Ford, a D.J. Augustine who could – really sort of take over when they needed to, because, you know, Rick Barnes ultimately wanted a player run player led team on the court. He wanted to create the culture off the court.
0: Yeah, no, you're right, man. And he was uh, not to get too personal with all of it, but, but my, uh, my dad ran into him. He was getting to go somewhere and Rick comes in and they started talking and, you know, they talked for like 20 minutes after Rick had already gotten his food like Rick Barnes is is such a personable guy and he's such a nice guy and he's always going to be a huge part of Texas but then you've got that other side which is no bullshit and and we're going to be tough and physical and you hit the nail on the head with the identity of his teams they're always about you know he was the he's the best when he's got a couple NBA guys and a bunch of brawlers to go with it
1: one hundred percent. And I'll tell you what. Um, I learned some stuff about him. He doesn't ever talk about, but it's in a book. It's a John Feinstein book about the ACC. I, I've read it. I've read it. And do you remember Rick Barnes when he was struggling as a volunteer assistant coach? I think he was getting paid like nine thousand dollars a year and he already had kids and a wife and, you know, like he's struggling. He would work all day. Uh, breaking down film, literally cutting up film, like combining tape, right? He would, you know, wash stuff. He was helping put stuff in players' lockers. And then he would go and catch a shift at a manufacturing plant driving loaders. Yeah, exactly. And he'd work well past midnight and then wake up the next morning at 6 a.m. and go back to coaching.
0: No, Rick is the real deal. He was going to make it. At the end of the day, Rick Barnes is a winner, if you wanted to describe it simply.
1: Yeah, that's a great that's a great description. Whatever level he was gonna get into coaching, you know, maybe he would have topped out at at a Clemson or or whatever. He was gonna win at that level, and he was gonna ultimately be successful, however you define that. And uh, yeah, I, I really wish he could have won it all at Texas, and and at least brought us to another Final Four, not just the magical one with T J Ford. But yeah, it wasn't to be. He wasn't a perfect coach. No, but all told. The best coach, the best Texas basketball coach we've ever had, right. and uh, it's really not it, debatable.
0: It, it's not. If Rick Barnes does that as a Texas baseball coach, he's maybe our fifth or sixth best ever. But you, <laughs> I, I, right. I, I, I'm not I'm not I'm not doing that.
1: Well, just there's only that. been five.
0: <laughs> yeah, well, that's true. So, and, and guess what? They were all Hall of Famers, and all and all one big. So that's kind of my point. Is it with Texas basketball? What Paul and I grew up with. I mean, Rick Barnes getting to one Final Four. I mean. The Elite Eights. Do you remember in ninety when they when they uh got to the Elite Eight? We felt like we'd won the national championship. I mean, we were blown away.
1: Oh yeah. Yeah. Mays, blanks, and Joey Wright.
0: Joey Wright, Panama Myers, Loxley Colley. Loxley Colley. Hell, I think even that team had Hank Dudek, who was legally blind.
1: Yeah, that was later. Hank came later.
0: Was was, was he after ninety?
1: I think he was. Yeah. Um, one thing I remember, so I don't just a little small tangent, but that I don't people realize how small that 90 basketball team was because especially the,
0: for college basketball back then, because six, eight
1: and yeah, six, so nine was, would be a big front court back then. Yes. Yeah. And there was more NBA talent. Teams were more mature. Right. And uh so, of course, Joey Wright was about six, one, maybe six two. Travis Mays, six two. Lance Blank's. Six four.
0: Yeah, Courtney. That's, Courtney Jean, six feet. Let's not forget about Courtney. Courtney was a hell of a
1: player. He was. He was sort of the uh, plug-in backup for all three spots, yep. like three guard spots, hey, and he, then
0: he could play point, could play off guard, he could do all that.
1: And then they started two forwards, basically, with the three guards. And Loxley Colley was sort of the scorer and sort of a junk ball guy. He was listed at six seven. He was barely six six. And then Panama Myers was the center. Slash forward, who was a great shot blocker, great defensive player, but he was six eight. He was 6'8. Uh, listed six He was about six seven. Right, and, and, and
0: so you have to remember, Alonzo Mourning and Dikembe Mutombo were a front court for Georgetown back then at seven two and seven
1: feet. I, I mean, yeah. it, college basketball was big back then. You when well, you watch them play that Xavier team, right? They're playing a front line that goes like six ten, six ten, six eight. Right, <laughs> yeah. And, And Xavier just hammers them in the first half on the boards. And then Texas goes absolutely – they they, uh, are up 20 at the halftime. And then Texas goes apeshit and ends up blowing them out. It's amazing.
0: Uh, Do you remember the Lance Blanks and one where he starts dancing?
1: Yeah, dance with Lance. I remember it, man. So after that game, I watched it. I was in high school. I was with my older brother at UT watching the game with him. And after the game – the entire West campus spontaneously rioted. That is fantastic. Like full riot. I don't mean people ran in the streets yelling. I mean cars were getting tipped over and just people went nuts. And uh it was it was that that much euphoria that we went to an elite eight and did it in that fashion. And you know, Barnes what he did it three times? Three times and got
0: to a final four, which that alone is gonna cement his legacy here in Austin. So it should be cool tonight. It should be emotional for him. And you've got two teams that kind of have similar identities because that's what beard wants to do.
1: Well, beard is a, uh, Rick Barnes disciple and Ogden is a, is a through line for both of them. Right. Ogden was a part.
0: Now uh, beard beard was here with Pinders, but yeah, there is, but one of his best friends is Barnes.
1: But, Oh, I thought, I thought that, uh, Oh, so sorry. So Ogden. Yes. Played for Barnes and was an assistant and now Ogden's an assistant for Beard. Yep, there you go. Um, I always forget the the guy the all the all state guy from Seminole. <laughs> and uh I get confused of who he played for. I always forget. Yeah, he's a Penders guy.
0: Yeah, no, yeah. He was a Penders guy, which is funny because Penders was not known for defense and it was obviously the running horns and trying to get to up tempo and in transition buckets, and and as Reggie Freeman pointed out or showed that taking any shot you want.
1: You know what? I think Ogden played is a year for Barnes, maybe two. No, 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 no.
0: O- Ogden did. I was talking about Beard. Beard. Oh,
1: okay, yeah, yeah. So yeah. when Beard, sorry, when Be- I lost the
0: it, all good. When Beard was a student assistant, that was with Penders. Ogden did play for Barnes.
1: Got it. I, I. I. I'm I'm crossing all my uh, streams here. We're. <laughs> you're this is why good. you're this is why you're radio professional, Kevin.
0: <laughs> and I'm the one who's emotionally spent right now, mentally spent.
1: Yeah, well, that's why you gotta. I gotta team up with the big shots to keep this thing on on the rails. Uh, but yeah, but anyway, the the
0: identity for Beard, even though he was with Penders as a student assistant, was or team manager, I think is much more like Barnes, and that's why it's easy to look at Beard and say, well, Beard is a Barnes guy, because they're actually a lot more alike in terms of how they want to build the team and, and what, sure. they're, what they're what
1: You're 100% right. I think it's almost like attitudinally I just link them.
0: Yeah. No, because their core, I mean, is all about let, let's be tough and let's be physical, and I think both these teams are going to bring that tonight. Tennessee's really good on the glass and getting offensive rebounds, and Texas has not been good at that. So we'll see what they can do. Tennessee will fire a lot of threes. Texas has been good defending that. So I'm I'm uh I'm excited just to see it and and more than anything, win or lose, because that won't matter in two months, is Barnes feels the love.
1: Yeah, I want Barnes to to feel welcomed and appreciated by the Texas crowd, and then I want Texas to beat Tennessee. That's that's yeah. the win win.
0: Yeah, no, that that is the win win. So hey, so uh, I I end up leaving yesterday, and I wake up this morning, and I see that Tom Brady of all people. I mean, we we overuse the goat. I had fun with Rod this week. I was trying to get my last shots out, and one of the beautiful beautiful things about this is I don't have to get all my last shots out. But you know that I I get irked with the over goat talk. I mean, it, there there could be a guy at at you know, some small school who puts up 22 points and people on Twitter will be calling him the goat. Like, there's only so many goats. This is not, there's not a lot in that list because it's greatest of all time. Tom Brady's that.
1: Yeah, his resume is unimpeachable. So here's the crazy thing in in pure Tom Brady fashion. They announced this, right? Like jumping the gun. And then now they're saying, oh, well, this isn't 100% decided, but you know what? Let's retire him if he comes back. Uh that you know, who cares? No one will remember this podcast, but we can appreciate his legacy. Can I can I overawe you with his sort of career achievements real quick? Go for it. It's it's a shocking resume, right? And I want to just list it off. Most Super Bowl appearances for a player, 10. And he won seven, right? One seven. What seven and three? Super Bowl MVP five times. Wow. League MVP three times. Uh, comeback player of the year. Was that uh, was, AP male athlete of the year, all sports.
0: Was the comeback after the injury?
1: Oh yeah, after he blew out his knee. NFL all time leader in wins. Touchdown passes 624. Passing yardage, 84,520, and completion, 7263. Postseason, the most ever wins, 35. Passing yards, 12,720. Touchdown passes, 85. Uh, led the biggest comeback in Super Bowl history, overcoming a 28 to 3 deficit against the Falcons for a 38, 34 to 28 OT win. Most passing yards in a Super Bowl, 505, in a losing effort against the Eagles. Age 44, the oldest player in league history to throw for 5,000 yards. One of four quarterbacks in NFL history to defeat all 32 teams, Peyton, and that includes Peyton Manning, Drew Brees, and Brett Favre. He won 18 division titles, 14 appearances in the conference title game. He played 22 years, and he had 14 appearances in the conference title game. Stupid man. I mean,
0: it's just I mean, dumb.
1: it's it's a ridiculous career. I don't even know how to describe that.
0: It is, and and here's the funny thing is that. If, if I'm thinking about just aesthetically with my eyes, the best quarterback I've ever seen, it, it, it may not be him. I mean, it would be Rodgers, Montana, and him. I mean, they're all kind of in that, in that same boat. But you could, you could certainly say, no, for me, Aaron Rodgers, throwing the football and, and that, that's my guy. That's fine because uh, it's a different debate. There is no debate if you look at resume with the GOAT.
1: It's not even close. Well, and, and the crazy thing and about Montana it, would be too. Yes. I mean, what's what's crazy about him, though, is that his career took all these different incarnations. Because early in his career, he was playing in a balanced sort of run-heavy offense when he was young, and it was play action. And he had bad receivers, you know, frankly. Uh, I know you might, you know, people might love Deion Branch, but... The the New England Patriot receiving core was not in the NFL top half, and he was the guy who made the key good play, the important third down conversion. He was sort of like a super high-end game manager, right? Yeah. And then at the time, people are contrasting him to Peyton, and people are saying, well, Brady's a winner. And people are like, look, Peyton Manning's putting up stupid numbers. Like, get out of here with your Brady stuff. Well, New England goes through a transformation to go to the spread, to get Randy Moss, to get Wes Welker. Brady puts up numbers that have never been seen in the history of the NFL. And he's playing, he's setting every record. And suddenly he's throwing deep, right? Because the big knock on him was he had no arm. Well, he and Randy Moss were, you know, two years, the biggest deep threat in the NFL. And then he freaking, they're like, well, it's all Belichick. He goes to the Buccaneers. Yeah, a good roster, a very good roster, but not a great coach, in Bruce Arians goes in the Buccaneers, and takes them to the Super Bowl, <laughs> like, and they win it. Yeah, no, that'll unbelievable be unbelievable career. That'll be the cap. I'm glad you talked about
0: the spread because that was when, for me at least, I really thought, okay, this guy is is one of the best, if not the best. You know, they went to the two tight ends with Gronk and the Murderer, uh, and that that was pretty impressive too. But. Yeah, the incarnation, just the evolution of, of what they were doing, and as it continued, it only highlighted how good he was. Certainly capped by the, well, how much of this is Belichick? Well, he does it with Bruce, Bruce Arians and Tampa Bay a year later.
1: One of the issues I have with Hall of Fames is that they, they have real struggles with durable, long careers, that are above average to good, and they mistake that for outstanding. Right. Because you put up a bunch of numbers, right? Baseball can be guilty of that. You certainly see that in football, right? With quarterbacks, and particularly. Ba- and
0: baseball is the most stringent, the most elitist
1: of their Hall of Fame, and they still have issues with that. They do. Because you know that I know that if there's a pitcher who hangs around a bunch of years and just sort of racks up some wins, which used to be the defining characteristic pre-metrics, right? Right. Say what you want about Phil Necro, but he's a winner. Right. <laughs> right.
0: Well, and his his offense was scored nine
1: runs a game. That's right. And and there's also the the tension between that and the guy who's just amazing for four years. Right. Or right. six years. Billy Wagner. Like,
0: Billy Wagner, dealing with
1: it right now. Gail Sayers, right? Yeah. It's it's the classic like or Kurt Warner, where in his prime you're like wow this is great he's he's doing great stuff and then you're like well didn't last very long did it no it like,
0: didn't
1: hey and go- the thing about Tom Brady is he was both yeah, <laughs> he, he, really he had was. the highest possible highs of performance there was no, there were individual years there was no doubt he was the best quarterback in the league and then he just played forever and and did not miss games. I mean, at the, at the position where you're supposed to miss games because you're getting abused. No. Unbelievable.
0: It really is. All right, let's do a little thought experiment here because uh, I'm, I'm always curious as we look at guys and, and you can have different analysis. I want you to rank in order who you think w- was the best quarterback. Kurt Warner, Ben Roethlisberger, Eli Manning.
1: Oh God, I this is right up my alley, and I hate you for making me do this. Do it because it's so difficult. Here's the issue: I have issues with all three. I do too, but I but I would put Kurt
0: Warner ahead of both.
1: I I would probably go. I'd put man Eli Manning last of yes. the three. Yep. And then Big Ben, man. I mean, talk about durability and, and, and constancy. And, and you got, you have to throw out his last couple of years. Like, don't let that define what you think Big Ben is, right? No,
0: he was a shell of himself.
1: Yes. But, I mean, Kurt Warner at his height is the guy I would want in any given game at his peak. But Ben Roethlisberger was a much more, you know, he gave you 15 years of good football and good quarterbacking that gave you a shot you know, to be there at the end.
0: He was more right? he was more consistent. His highs weren't as high as, hell, you could even say Eli. I mean, Eli threw some effing dimes, man, in those two Super Bowls and on that playoff run. But he was the most consistent of all of them. But Kurt Warner, if you look at the median, I guess Roethlisberger would be probably better than than both those guys. But I'm thinking about the high. I'm thinking about when you were really playing at
1: an elite level. It's Kurt Warner. You know, it's, it's honestly, Kevin, it's the Earl Campbell versus Emmett Smith argument. Well, I'll take Earl Campbell. Sorry, man. Yeah. I mean, it, at age, I'm talking about it's fourth and three, and we're down six, and <laughs> someone in my family's life is dependent on this touchdown. It's not even in a debate. I'm, I mean, I'm sorry. It's Earl Campbell, and I'm a Cowboys fan. Right? I know you are. But if you talk about a career, Emmett Smith smokes him. Yeah, it just just is. It, it, That's just the reality.
0: Yeah, I heard Mad Dog talking about this Russo and and Earl actually called called this show right after. But it goes to show you just how big of a badass Earl was. That you know, and kids don't know this. Go look at the the span that he played. It was really short, yet no one, I mean, no one argues if he is
1: a first ballot surefire Hall of Famer. That's how good those years were. Yeah, his true peak, Kevin, was maybe four and a half, five years.
0: Right? I mean, hell, some people would say it was rookie year on Monday Night.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, he did. He had some other years.
0: But he did. He did. I, he really had. Three- I'm gonna have. T- I'm gonna have Tyler calling me here. Tyler and Christian, because uh, they, they they become they become really good family friends and and good friends. And we've talked about that with them. And um, yeah. They, I'm glad you said that there were more years than, than just that.
1: Well, do you remember when we were kids and even the media, which was even dumber when we were younger, which is saying something <laughs> it is, but you kind of settled debates on quarterbacks with either wins, right? Which can cause which has its own, its own associated issues, but yardage. Yeah. Like how many yards did he throw for? Well, let me, let me bounce this off you and blow your mind.
0: Hey, quickly, okay. Ty Detmer says hello. Who? Ty Detmer, just to give you a college Heisman version of that. <laughs>
1: I was like, is Ty Detmer in the right. studio? Let's get him on.
0: Danny Werfel's giving you a thumbs up.
1: There's no doubt about that. Yeah. So Gino Toretto says hi. <laughs> the top 20 passing yardage leaders in NFL history. Okay. Tom Brady, number one. Drew Brees, number two, Peyton Manning, number three, Favre, number four. Okay, we're, we're good, right? Yeah, all Hall of Famers. Number five is Roethlisberger.
0: I know, that's just, that's just adding up time, man.
1: Kevin, number six, Philip Rivers. Ugh. Marino is seven. Guess who's number eight and nine? Who? Matt Ryan and Eli Manning. All right. Well, at, that, at that, that
0: point, the list means nothing to me.
1: E- Eli Manning has more career passing yardage than Aaron Rodgers and John Elway.
0: And Joe Montana.
1: Oh, yeah, definitely. Joe Montana ain't in the top 20, brother. Right. So that, that's one of those where the numbers get thrown out quickly with me. Joe Flacco is oh. number 19. Kerry Collins is number 20.
0: <laughs> I'm glad I'm leaving this business.
1: I mean, talk about a complete changing of the NFL game, right? Where even uh, the, the what was it, Schaub? Matt Schaub. Matt Schaub for the Texans. Do you remember when he threw for like 4,200 yards one year? I do. And people were like, is he elite? Like, is he elite? Yeah. And it's like, it's no. like, no, actually, if you're, if you <laughs> no. got Andre Johnson and a competent offense, you should throw for 4,200 yards. Right and
0: also a league that has been set up to where you should be able to throw for that.
1: You, you, no can't, doubt.
0: you can't breathe on anyone defensively.
1: Well that is my fear of people who don't realize the full evolution of the game, right? In terms of how the rules have been slanted towards the passing game and towards the offense, towards the offensive you know the the offensive game in general. And you know, I still like defense and appreciate it but the stack is, is deck, the deck is stacked against the defenders every time a quarterback drops back to pass.
0: Oh, it completely is. And really, in all three sports, that's one of the things that really does link up. So uh, when I say three sports, if, if you haven't listened to me or probably Paul, but certainly me, my, my three are, are football, basketball, and baseball. And I would say six because I follow – all three of those collegiately too, but certainly at the professional level, all three, and it's really about just what the fans, what they think the fans want, and that is it's about offense. I mean, baseball's done that, right? Uh, Sure. uh, Basketball certainly has done that. Think about how physical basketball was back in the day, and now you can't breathe on anyone, and football's taken it to this weird level.
1: Yeah, I think it's, it's uh, for football, they're partly it's player safety, but I think they're also using player safety as an excuse to get more offense.
0: Paul, do they really care about player safety? Would they have, no. sat, would they have sat on the info that they actually had forever with concussions if they really gave a shit about player safety? It's not about player safety. It's about, for them, would we, money. Would
1: we be playing 17 games if player safety exactly. was the primary?
0: Exactly. It's not about player safety. That is a a nice virtue signal for them to say, well, you know, I care about you.
1: Well, the, as as kids, they don't do these anymore. But you and I, when you'd sign up for Sports Illustrated, back when people read Sports Illustrated, uh you got the free VHS tape of NFL's hardest hits. Oh, I love
0: that thing.
1: And I... Every one of those hits would be a player ejection today. Oh, and, god! And they would they would linger on the player that got hit. And if they were like unconscious or their helmet was off or like they twitched a little after the hit, that was. And they'd add like a sound effect, like "Ooh, ah!" <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> hey, uh, just to add to your nausea, Vinnie Testaverdi? number 16 all time NFL passing yardage leader.
0: Well, he had a good cap with the Jets, so how dare you.
1: <laughs> Just behind Carson Palmer.
0: Yeah. Where's Wayne Cre- Crebbet in terms of receiving?
1: Yeah, I mean, that's the other thing that's getting inflated too, right? I mean, and you know, you're you're seeing these sort of all-time receivers uh, just dropping to the bottom of these lists. This guy has where, more yards like, than Jerry Rice.
0: He's better. No, he isn't. Well, Shut he runs up. Ahead
1: of Jerry Rice, which just proves the level of right. absolute dominance that he operated at for so long. But, you know, you're dropping guys like who used to be like sort of mainstays. You know, Michael Irvin, he ain't real high on those lists. You know he's he's in the top ten somewhere, or take, maybe the bottom, you know the the back part of the top ten or next eleven. But t-
0: tell you what, if I had a third and six, and I'm not a Cowboys fan, and it's a 50-50 ball, I'll take Irvin.
1: Uh, if I had an eight ball, I'd take Irvin too.
0: <laughs> He'd join you.
1: <laughs> There's no doubt about that. At the white be-
0: <laughs> at the White House, Eric Williams will have a uh, escort waiting for you.
1: Yeah, Mike could turn that eight ball into a two ball pretty quick. <laughs> No. Hey, uh, is there anything else we want to hit on Tom Brady and just basically filleting him? Um,
0: no, he's the GOAT, In and, and I hope he does come back. I'm actually very surprised by this. I, You know, I talked about some things being oxygen for you, and I, for me, I just felt like this was something that, es- especially considering he's still at such a high level. I mean, he's so damn good at 44 that I figured he'd play to, like, 45, 46, and maybe at 46, you see the decline and he says, all right, I'm out of here. Uh, I'm not going to totally close the book on this.
1: Well, I'll say this. You may disagree and reasonable minds can disagree on this. But when the history on this is written and we look back with clear eyes and objectivity, I think the majority opinion will be that Tom Brady was indeed an upgrade over Jameis Winston in Tampa. I'm not ready to make that call right now. Well, I like to go out on a limb. And that's one of the reasons I wouldn't be well-sorted for sports radio. Because you tell the people what they want to hear, and I give edgy takes like that. And that's why I won't ever give in to the man.
0: No, no, you will not give in to the man. Uh, That's good shit, man. Uh, How do you want to cap this thing here?
1: We're going to cap this thing by talking about Laura Baker. Because Tom Brady, I don't think he's going to be staying in Tampa after he retires, I think he and Giselle are going to have some pretty cool houses all across the world. I think one of those houses is going to be in Sentex. I think Tom and Giselle are going to join the crowd of all these famous people and all these other folks moving to Austin. And all and, these athletes. Do you realize how many
0: pro athletes who didn't even go to Texas live in Austin?
1: It has blown totally my man. mind. Sentex, just based on genetics, is going to be exploding over the next 10 years with, with uh, five stars.
0: Yeah. No, no. You're right. It will be. Uh, Yeah. Westlake and Lake Travis aren't going anywhere.
1: (laughs) No. If you want a five-star realtor, I want you to reach out to Laura Baker. She's great at what she does. You can reach her at 512-784-0505. Kevin, I was just talking to her the other day and she had a January, which is typically the month when realtors all go on vacation and uh, don't it's, even bother checking their it, phone past four o'clock. It's she dead. January. It's, it's dead where in she January. Sold,
0: uh, go ahead. I'm sorry. It's, it's dead in January everywhere. And apparently I'm talking to real estate people here and it's like as hot as it would be in the summer in most cities. It, it
1: was nuts. And she was busy and she's writing offers at midnight and getting up at 6am and driving out to help somebody with an issue. And, Helping with the title issue, and uh, you know that's that's why she's great at what she does. And, and you'll find that out whether you're a seller or a buyer, you need to put your hands, uh, you need to put yourself in the hands of someone who's very experienced, very sharp, and very hardworking. Because those are the determinants of what makes an effective realtor. She is a member of the award-winning Andy Allen team of Keller Williams. Reach out to her 512-784-0505, and all of our sponsors. They work in synergy, Kevin. So whether you're going to mortgagesbygabe.com and and calling David for financial advice and then using Laura Baker to buy or sell your house, they all work in congruence and they're all going to make your financial life and your overall world a lot happier. And Kevin, you are moving to the next chapter to make your overall world different and more challenging and happier. I wish you nothing but success. I know our listeners wish you nothing but success. And the good news for all of us, our listeners, and for me selfishly is that you're not going anywhere and everyone gets a trophy podcast. It's not going anywhere either,
0: man. It, uh, so the outreach was incredible personally for me and the amount of time that I've been in the Austin market, but man, I, I can't tell you how many people reached out and said, you not going anywhere. Right? So we got a lot of listeners. We got a, we got a really good family. We get a lot of love. We're lucky to do this. I'm lucky to continue it. And I really mean this. Uh, like the tears I shed this week would have been a I I could have created a lake if I wasn't going to have this so I still have this I'm still going to be on the horn from time to time so I'm not going anywhere there I'm just not doing it every day and it's a great opportunity for me if all y'all could see this opportunity and the people that I've been able to share it with it was very quick Paul when I kind of walked you through this and stuff I'd been doing in I think your exact words were yeah you'd be fucking crazy to pass that up
1: yeah you were standing under a seven foot goal with no defenders around you and saying should I dunk this right and everyone you know was like yeah you should dunk this Kevin
0: I should dunk it but we're going to continue to dunk it here man uh, I love you like a brother and we'll continue this obviously so stay tuned and uh, I've got I've got a little bit of time off so I'm sure it'll probably be like Wednesday this week where I'll call Paul and be like, hey, let's fire out three or four of these. And so we're, we're going to continue to do some of our more uh, uh, wide-ranging topics like best longhorn defender or best secondary, whatever. We'll get into that stuff, and we'll obviously talk some real-time stuff as well. I love y'all. We're still doing this, so I uh, appreciate y'all being along for the ride for the 20 years and continuing to be along for the ride as Paul and I move forward. Y'all be good. We'll talk to y'all next week.